book of Philippians. And today we come to, and it's really a small amount of the Bible, it's just two verses. We're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Um, It's really just one sentence. It's one sentence, it's just 45 words in the Greek, 49 words translated into English. But this one sentence gives us, I believe, the clearest explanation in the entire Bible about how we grow, how we change, how we mature, how we flourish as individual Christians, but also as a church, also as the body of Christ, as the people of God. So let me read these verses to us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're going to take this in two parts today. Um, a command, number one, and then second, a promise. A command and then a promise. But before we even do that, remember, we're reading a letter from Paul written to these Christians, written to this church that he loves, a diverse church in the city of Philippi. He loves these people. He has been with them. He started this church. Now he's away from them. He's in prison. And he loves these people. He misses these people. How does he address these people? It's in the very beginning of that sentence. What does he call them? My beloved. My beloved. So he loves these people. Okay? So, so hear everything Paul is saying in that context. He is writing to someone, writing to people, writing to a church he loves. He loves. And we have to understand God's word coming to us that way. If you are someone who's repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus and you become a new creation, you are so loved. And so you need to hear all the words of God coming at you from the Bible so you are this beloved person because you are. He loves you. And his words are love coming towards you, coming towards you. I, I love, thank you, Rebecca, for leading us in that, that last song. And I, I, my heart really needed that song today. Just, we, that's why we can surrender our life to God. That's why we can open up our hands and say, I just surrender my life to you, my story, everything I've been through, all these hopes and dreams I still have, because we know that he loves us, and he's going to take care of us. He's a good, good father, so we can, we can do that. So everything that Paul is saying is written to people he loves, everything that God's word is saying to you, it, it comes to you, you're, you're loved, you're a loved person. So first we have this command. Notice that the text does not say uh, work for your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Right? We, we've been over this constantly. We want to be people that constantly are understanding how radical and freeing the gospel message is. The message of Christianity is not work for your salvation. Work for the approval of God. Work to get God to love you. But it's not that at all. That's, that's the opposite. This is not religion. This is rescue. This is, this is gospel. Um, Dr. Harry Ironside, he was a, he was a seminary um, professor. Uh, there was a time when he was preaching to um, some university students, actually here in California, and someone asked him, um, hey, th- of all the thousands of religions that are out there, there's thousands of religions out there, Dr. Ironside, how do we know which one is true? And I like the answer he gave. He said this, well, before we can get into the question of which one is true, we need to clarify something. There are not thousands of religions There are not even hundreds of religions. There are only two. One which tells you that salvation comes as a reward for what you have done, 
and one which tells you that salvation comes by what somebody else does for you. That's Christianity. All the rest fit under the other. And if you think you can get your salvation by your own efforts, then Christianity has nothing to say to you. But if you know that you need to be saved, then you are a candidate for Christianity. It's good news, right? That makes sense. He's saying you can take thousands of different religions out there. You can really reduce them to all the other ones out there are about earning your way for the affection, the approval of God. The other is recognizing you're a sinner that needs salvation, that needs to be rescued, that needs to be needs to be loved. So there's only ever one person who has worked for your salvation, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came through his perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection. He worked for your salvation. And notice that the text doesn't say work for your salvation, nor does it say work on your salvation. That you've got kind of this incomplete, imperfect salvation from God, and you've got to kind of work on it. No, remember Jesus' words from the cross. It is finished. He's completed your, your rescue from sin. Um, you know, Christianity is good news. It's not, it's not advice. So this text is not about working for your salvation. It's not about working on your salvation. This is about how people who have already been saved, who are already loved, who are already safe in the arms of the Father. It's about how we work out our salvation. It's about how we become more awake to what God has already done for us and how we grow in that, mature in that, move forward in that. The text says, do this in fear and trembling. Now, I know I read these verses as a high schooler. And they scared me. I thought, okay, am I supposed to always be like afraid and always be trembling as I grow as a Christian and work this out? What, 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 is, what, is, what is the Bible saying to me? What is the author of Paul saying to his first century audience and to me? Now, the idea here is, is, is that of awe. In a sense of awe, um, with, with a sense of just the total lordship of God, that's how we work it out. Fear and trembling. Oh, you are the living God. You're at work. I'm in awe of you. And in awe of God, we work, we work it out. Um, remember everything we've been seeing so far in the book of Philippians. Like we, we saw the, what Jesus did. We saw this in the last text, uh, beginning of chapter 2, that Jesus left heaven in this profound act of humility, came down to earth, and, and, and died on the cross for us to love us and to serve us. And that power is what we do. We want to we look at the motivation for this obedience. So we're, we're dealing with a command. This is the command to you today from the Bible. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you're a Christian, you're commanded to do that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's the motive? You know, and motives, and we talked about this last time I was here as well, motives really shape your obedience. Um, there's, there's the motive of duty and there's the motive of delight. If you are obeying God solely out of duty, I think you're really missing the relationship and, and the tone of God. Um, I, had a, I had a date night last night with my wife, and I took my wife out on this date because I wanted to be with her, right? I didn't go to her and say, I feel like I should take you on a date, so I'm taking you on a date. Right? It's my duty as a husband. I think I should do that. Will you go? I didn't do that. That wouldn't make my wife feel very loved or special and cared for. I said, I love you. I want to be with you. Man, you look beautiful. Let's go, man. I want to take you out to dinner and be with you. And, and, and that's why I did that. Same way in our relationship with God, because we know he loves us so much, and we love him, and we know that he's for us, and he wants the best for us. We go, okay, yeah, and I'm in awe of you. 
So I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk with you. Problem is, we have these. We're just in a culture that operates very differently. That you're, we're all Americans, right? You're an American, and uh, we can tend to come to the Bible with this lens, and probably even more so if you're Asian American with this lens. Kind of thinking the Bible says you must get better and better and better. And if you get better and better and better and you achieve more and do more, then God will love you. Anyone ever kind of thought that's how, how it works? I have. But that's not true. We don't obey God in order to get saved. We obey God because we already are saved. And we're already transformed by His love. And, and some of you might be listening to this right now going, well, this sounds... Like, maybe this could be cheap grace. Like, God saved you, and he's given you this grace, and now you're just kind of free to do whatever you want. No, no, no. If you've really tasted it, if you've really tasted the love of God, you're going to be a transformed person. So justice from God, justice is getting what you deserve. Getting what you deserve. Grace is something very different. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that's how God comes to us in scriptures. Grace, getting what we, what we don't deserve but we don't deserve. And so, the way, actually, if you, if you were to read this, remember, this is all just one sentence. We're still in verse 12. We haven't gotten to verse 13 yet. Verses 12 and 13 are all one sentence. Um, if we were to read this, this part of the command, this command, actually, the Greek is the very last word of the verse, and you, you, it would read like this. It would sound like this. With fear and trembling, the salvation that is already yours, work it out. That was the sound you know, sound a little different. So that's our command. Um, let's now come to this promise. Let's come to this promise. This is verse 13. Um, notice this word. Verse, uh, verse 13 starts out with the word for. You see that in your Bibles? It starts out with the word for. Can't put one. Yeah, for. That, that word is the glue that holds this um, whole sentence together, that holds this whole sermon together. You've got to hold these two together. You've got to have Philippians 2, verse 12, and Philippians 2, verse 13 held together. You've got to see how they're deeply, deeply connected. Um, many people, and maybe a lot of you in this room, are living a Philippians 2, verse 12 life. And, and you're, not, you're not into verse 13. You're just in verse 12. And you're just going, okay, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trust. I've got the command. I got it. I heard the sermon today. I'm going to go obey this command. I'm going to work out my salvation here in China. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do this. I've got this thing. Many other people, maybe many of you in this room, are living just a Philippians 2.13 life. Because you, you, you go on and you read the verse and it says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You kind of go, oh, well, God's working in me. So I'm just going to chill out. I'm just going to say, let go, let God. I'm just going to relax. God's got it all. I'm not going to do it. I'll just go play some video games. Those, those are two errors. You don't want to be just Philippians 2.12. You don't want to be just Philippians 2.13. You, you want to live a Philippians 2 and verse 13 life. Let's talk about the word salvation. Paul is saying work out your salvation. The way in which Paul uses this word throughout this letter and throughout the epistles, salvation is the big, whole, total thing that God is doing in believers' lives. That we were destined, we were stuck in our sin, broken, a broken world. God comes and he saves us. He, 
He makes us, puts us into a right relationship with him. But then he also starts us on this journey of growth and maturity. Eventually it leads to glorification when we're with God in the new heavens and the new earth, enjoying everlasting life with him where there is no sin, there, is no, there are no more tears, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. And so salvation really includes two big words, justification and sanctification. Okay, You probably know these words, justification and sanctification. Justification is a one-time event. It's a one-time event. It's, it's um, God does all the work in justification. The only thing that you contribute to your justification is your sin and your need. It, justification is what happens when you become a Christian, when you become converted. That God moves towards you, he gets a hold of your life, he justifies you. And the way in which the living God, and you have to get this, the way in which the living God looks at you, as you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, he looks at you just as, this is how you, I want you to always, for the rest of your life, remember the word justification. Just as if you've never sinned, and just as if you've always obeyed. The living God looks at you through the blood of the Son, Jesus, and then that's who you are. You've been, you're in Christ. You're justified. Just as if you've never sinned, just as if you've always obeyed. This one-time event, you're justified. You are right with God. One-time event. There's also sanctification. Sanctification is not a one-time event. Sanctification is a process. Sanctification is a process. It is a journey. It's a journey of development. It is, it's this journey of maturity and growth in the Lord. Where you mature, you repent of sin, you, you, you heal of wounds, you, you become more holy, you become more and more the person that God created and designed and redeemed you to be. And so you've got to remember that in the alphabet, just as in the um, alphabet, same with theology here, J, always comes before S. Justification comes before sanctification. Justification first, then sanctification. And what sanctification is, is it's working out your justification. It's going, okay, God's justified me. He's adopted me as a son and daughter. I'm in this new relationship. I'm a new creation. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean for me as I head back to school in a week? What does that mean for me as I do my work? What does that mean as I do this difficult relationship? What does that mean as I encounter this bad news? What, 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 what does that mean? A great way, a great way to grow daily in your sanctification is, is to sing and to live that song that we were just singing. Just, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Right? Because we totally want to take control of our lives and, and, and maybe surrender part of it to God. But you're like, I've got to surrender it all to you. All these hopes, all these dreams, all these desires, all these hurts, all these worries. Surrender it all to you. It's a great way to grow. So J comes before us, and, and what you want to make sure you never do, but I, I do it all the time, unfortunately. Um, never base your justification on your sanctification. This is maybe the, one of the biggest struggles I see in people in my church, people in this valley, and most Christians I know. Basing your justification on your sanctification. So your sanctification, you might go, okay, today. What is Sunday, August 11th? I'm not having the best day. I sinned here. Didn't have a good time meeting with the Lord. Scattered, stressed. Blah, blah, blah. So, man, God must be pretty disappointed in me. God must love me less today than He loved me yesterday. You see what you're doing? If you do that, you're basing you're basing your justification on your sanctification. You're kind of going the way in which God loves me and my relationship with Him, my standing with Him, is based on how I'm doing today. That produces a very insecure faith, a very insecure believers. Because now your standing with God is no longer based on what Jesus did for you on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. It's now based on kind of how you're doing today. 
I don't know about you, but depending on the day, I can be in three different, different spots. So, so you got that information justification on your sanctification? If that's just like one of your takeaways from this message, that's radical in your life, okay? I think it's just the source of many problems for, for many Christians. So you got to start each day just knowing that you forgive them up. When I, when I discipline my boys, I've got three boys, they're wild, they're crazy, they're awesome, they're wild and crazy, so I have to, I have to discipline them pretty often. You know, one of the things I, I just remind them, I always just say to them at the end, is I say, you're forgiven in love. You're forgiven in love. Dad forgives you. Dad loves you. You have to start each day. You have to start each day knowing that. Um, I'm starting a series on the book of Daniel in my church next week, and it's so good. I knew this this morning. I came across um, these words in the book of Daniel. I just, it says to Daniel, Oh man, great love. I was addressed by the, the living God. This angel comes as a messenger of God. Oh man, great love. That's just a great way for me to start my morning today. Just remember, like, oh yeah, I'm a man greatly loved by God. Even though I feel like really inadequate in a bunch of these ways, like I'm screwing up in these areas, I'm failing in these areas. Greatly, greatly. So, there was a Gatorade commercial a while ago. It was kind of, well, not commercial, it was kind of like their slogan, their mantra for a while. And it was, uh, you get out of it what you put into it. And it was showing these athletes uh, working hard, throwing, hitting in football, playing basketball, on bikes. Get it out of it, what you put into it. And they're all sweaty and they drink Gatorade. It's, it's kind of Gatorade's message. You know, work hard, drink Gatorade. Get out of it, what you put into it. The Bible here, Paul gives us a very different logic. Today's text tells us that we get out of it what God puts into it. God is putting into us. And because God is putting into us, because we are working that out, that's where things happen. That. These, if I was to summarize this sermon in six words, it's, it's this. Work out what God works in. Work out what God works in. God is at work. He's working. He's working, he's working stuff into your life. And, and, and work out what he's working in. He's the primary mover here, not you. Here's, here's the point of what I'm saying. Let's take it back to the story. When it comes to Christianity, when it comes to your relationship with the living God, God never let go of the bike. Never, ever let go of the bike. The living God the Father, He has always held on to the bike since the second He saved you. And He never just said, okay, I've kind of taught you now, go off on your own. He's always been there. And he'll, and he'll always be there, holding on to that bike, steadying you, counseling you, whispering wisdom and truth and love into your ears. Pushing you along, guiding you, directing you, showing you where he wants you to go. He's always pushing that button. That's what Philippians 2, 12, 13 says. Is it saying, God's got the bike? He's pushing you, he's loving you. Just pedal and work out what he is, what he's working in. This logic is all over scripture. Paul already, we already saw this in chapter 1, verse 6. Paul said, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Colossians 1.29, Paul talks about his job as a pastor, and he says this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works with me. In Hebrews 13.21, May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus 
And let me close with this. Don't, don't miss this. The text tells us two different ways in which God's at work. Don't miss this. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's not only helping us work, he's giving us the will, the desire for that work. But God's at work in you, giving, awakening your desires to, to, to follow him. To grow up it's like, Again, it's not just duty here. It's not your duty. He's, he's at work in you to will and for his pleasure. To give you deep in your heart, deep in the center of your being, deep in the center of your identity, this desire to follow Jesus, to glorify him in whatever situation he's putting in, and to work for his name and glory. And this is what he's doing in your church. And so my encouragement and word for you as individuals, but also as a church family, as a church body, is that you'd be a people understanding that God's never letting go of that bike. He's at work in all of you that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's at work. You can trust him. And you can let him guide you in that fight. Let me pray for you. Living God, I thank you for these two incredible verses, this one incredible sentence of Scripture. I pray that the logic and the freedom of these verses would go deeper into my heart and deeper into the hearts of my friends here at Home Christ Church. Because in Jesus. Amen. Thank you. I like the writing story. Thanks.